0: Take your Bibles, turn with me if you would to 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm tickled to death to be here. I appreciate so very much the uh, the unexpected honor. Brother uh, Botrell called me earlier this week and said, I'm going to be out of town. And I thought he was going to say, do you have a preacher in your church that you could loan me for an evening? And he said, I want you to preach. I said, oh wow, I get to preach over there, amen. And uh, let me just give you a, a bit of uh, pastoral... Uh, wisdom uh, for those that that might be here, there may not be anybody here that has a problem with the pastor taking a vacation. I certainly hope not, but take it from somebody that 's been pastoring for many years pastors don 't take vacations; they just pastor from another town. Amen they still check their emails, they still get text messages, they still make phone calls, they still pray they still study. And, uh, and uh, so I appreciate uh, him being able to get away for a little bit. Our family took a vacation two weeks ago. We went out to Arizona. We waited till it was August to go to Phoenix when it was 116 degrees. Um, uh, but uh, we, we, when you get back, when a pastor gets back from vacation, they have to work overtime for three weeks to make up for it. So sometimes you wonder if it's even worth it. Uh, but I appreciate the privilege to be here tonight and I uh, appreciate your pastor and his friendship and uh, his faithfulness. And we've heard nothing but good about your pastor and this church. And so praise the Lord for that. We have several from our church here tonight. I appreciate them coming up to hear me. And uh, one, two, three, four from our church. Appreciate them being here. You've got a veteran missionary here, Brother Marlon Peterson and his wife. Y'all have been in Uganda how long? 23 years. Doing a phenomenal work, straight, solid, gun barrel straight. I highly recommend them. If you're looking for a missionary, uh, I recommend them. They're staying in our missions apartment and will be with us on Sunday. Uh, but I appreciate them surprising me. They drove up uh, and uh, surprised, surprised me. I, didn't, I wouldn't expect them to see them. And uh, what a beautiful drive. This is my first time to your church, driving up these little back country roads and and, and the deer do you, do you have any idea how hard it was for me to not stop <laughs> and roll the window down? You have not? I like to hunt deer, especially when you don't have to leave the front seat of your truck. But beautiful, beautiful country. And I'm just thrilled to be here tonight. And I hope that the message will be a blessing. He said, You've got revival coming up here shortly with Brother Tim Green, is that correct? And I've known Brother Green forever and it was really good friends with his dad, Dr. Don Green. How many of you know Dr. Don Green from up in Lansing, Michigan? Well, he's in heaven now. Uh, but uh, Dr. Don Green was a, a soldier of the cross, pastored there at Parker Memorial Baptist Church in Lansing Mission for close to 60 years. Uh, I know it was close to 60 years. It might've been 60, but if it wasn't, it was right at it that he pastored that same church Uh, He used to preach meetings for my dad. My dad pastored down in South Georgia in the 70s. And I was just a little kid back then. And Dr. Don Green would come down and preach. And he was one of my heroes, Dr. Don Green, a tremendous man of God. And Brother Tim Green, of course, is his son. And so y'all are in for a treat. And so your pastor said, you've got revival coming up. And I said, well, the message that I believe I'll be preaching uh, might go along with preparing the heart's and the church for the revival. And so if you've found your place by now, I hope you have. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Stand with me please. I'm going to read just one verse and pray and then you can be seated. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 15, Paul said, but if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of and ground of the truth. Lord, help us tonight, I pray, as we preach the message you've laid upon our hearts. Use it to encourage and bless the people of God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As a young missionary in South Africa back from 2001 to 2006, straight out of Bible college, just finished deputation and was on the field For the first time in my life, I felt like I'd been thrown off in the deep end of the pool. I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up with my dad a pastor. My dad was a missionary during the 80s. Two different mission fields. I grew up on the mission field. But uh, in the country of South Africa with my wife and children, for the first time, I felt overwhelmed at the, the responsibilities and the weight of the ministry. And I found myself over and over and over again reading 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. I read those three books till I nearly wore my pages out because those were books that the apostle Paul, a tremendous man of God, an apostle with God's touch, God's power with a burden for souls and a burden to see the world reach with the gospel. Those were three books that he wrote to young pastors, just giving them counsel and wisdom and advice for the ministry. And I read those books over and over and over again. And still to this day, I find myself many times gravitating to those pastoral epistles. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul makes a statement in verse number 15. 15 that I wanna focus on here in just a minute, and that's the ground of the truth. He gets to the church as the pillar and ground of the truth, and I wanna preach for a few minutes on how a church loses ground, how a church loses ground, but before we get into the message, I wanna just kinda work our way through that. In verse number 15, we notice three things, if you're taking notes by way of introduction. We see, first of all, Paul's aspiration Paul's aspiration, these things write I unto thee, verse 14, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know, Paul was a teacher. Paul was a teacher. He was a preacher. Paul was a firm believer in mentoring He was a firm believer in passing down to the next generation the things that he had learned. I preached last night, actually, uh, out of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, where he said, the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You got four levels of mentoring, four levels of discipleship, four tiers, if you will, where Paul taught Timothy. Timothy was to teach faithful men. Faithful men were to go and teach others also. And what we have here tonight, we have because somebody passed that down to us. Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And so Paul is trying to teach Timothy something in chapter three, verse number 15. I wanna wanna write this to you that you may know, we see Paul's aspiration. And then secondly, we see Paul's admonition. That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. That sounds like a, a statement that a parent would say to their four-year-old over in the back seat on the way to church, all right? We're going to church, I want you to behave yourself. How many of you had parents that did that? Uh, my parents would tell me, I want you to act like you got some sins. They knew I didn't, but they thought maybe I could act like I did. We're going to church behave yourself, amen, and we, we, we learned all the things you don't do, like put chewing gum under the pews and run up and down the aisles and tear book, uh, pages out of the songbook and things of that nature. We weren't allowed to play on the platform and jump on the piano and play in the, on the piano, but I don't think that's what Paul's talking about so much as it is just talking about proper conduct and the way to behave yourself in the house of God. By the way, we're in the house of God tonight. Aren't you glad for the house of God? We see Paul's aspiration. We see Paul's admonition. But then we see Paul's analogy, and this is really where I want to get. He says that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. I like the way he worded that. And then he goes on to say the pillar and ground of the truth. So the apostle Paul believed, unlike a lot of people today, that the house of God was the church of God. I didn't get any amens on that. Do I need to back up and park here a while? The house of God, which is the church of God. Behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Amen. The church is here tonight because we've got a bunch of God's people assembled together. You look that word church up in the Greek and I I know a little bit, I know a little Greek. All right, he runs a diner down in Dundalk. I know a little Greek and that word church is ecclesia. Look it up in your dictionary, look it up in your Strong's Concordance and the word church means a group of people gathered together in an assembly, all right? So church is when we have in-service worship. Are y'all still with me? I had to preach a whole message on this to our people that live stream is not church. That's like saying I went to the baseball game when you sit on the couch and watched it on the television, okay? You watched the game on the TV, but you didn't go to the game until you went to the stadium, all right? What you did was watch a bunch of people that went to the game. People that are watching live stream tonight are not here. They're watching the people that are here have church inside the house of God. Can I get a witness? I'm just getting everybody excited for this next shutdown that might be coming. But we see Paul's analogy the church of the living God, and he called it, he compared it to two things. He said it is a pillar, a pillar. And the ground of the truth. Now that word pillar, we got pillars behind me. We got these beautiful pillars. I love these Corinthian pillars with these nice uh, uh, decoration in here. We have pillars at our church. Those pillars are a a type and a picture of strength. Okay, You put pillars up under a beam up under a load-bearing wall it holds up the house, it holds up the roof it holds the weight. Those pillars are a type and a picture of strength. The church The church of the living God, the house of God is the pillar and ground of the truth. So the pillars, it speaks of strength and the ground speaks of stability. So a church is where people come and they hear the word of God preached and the church, the Bible says, according to this verse is the pillar and ground of the truth. Can I get a witness? Well, You know what I found out? I found out that if the people in the church do not understand that and they do some things wrong, do some things incorrectly, fail to understand some things, the the church of the living God, which the Bible says is the the pillar and ground of the truth, a church can actually lose ground. There can be a, a decay. There can be an eroding. There can be a a, a place to where the whole thing just crumbles and falls. You say, preacher, why are you preaching this? We're coming up on revival. We need a, a good revival message, amen. Well, a good revival message is have a church that doesn't crumble and fall in the next six months or in the next year because of some things that the church is doing that contributes to the decay and the demise of the church. I'm going to give you five points tonight. You can write these down on how a church loses ground. Number one, a church will lose ground when the mandate is disregarded. See, the church has been given a mandate from God. Some people call it the Great Commission. Some people call it, Brother Sammy Allen used to call it the Great Command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And when the church fails, to fulfill its mandate and the mandate that was given to the church is disregarded, the church will eventually cease to exist. You say, how do churches that used to be strong and thriving and flourishing, churches where people used to be saved and walk the aisles and and weep in the altars and get born again and where the baptismal waters were stirred and the church was vibrant and had a strong Sunday school program, had a strong outreach and bus ministry. How does a church like that go from running 500, 800, 1,000 people down to 20 people sitting on a dusty pew? How does it happen? Somebody stops, oh, winning. Somebody stopped knocking doors. Somebody stopped passing out tracts. Somebody stopped inviting people to church. They they failed to replenish the ranks. They had more funerals in the church in a year than they had conversions. And what happens? The church loses ground. A church that fails to win souls, a church that fails to understand the significance of the mandate to reach the entire world with the gospel, that church will soon cease to be. In Acts chapter 5 and verse number 14, the Bible says, and the believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. While I read the book of Acts, I get excited about the potential of God working in the local church. By the way, we have the same God that they had in Acts. We've got the same Holy Spirit that they had in Acts. We have now the complete word of God which they did not have in the book of Acts. We've got a church full of people that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We've got the same commission, the same command and yet we look at the book of Acts and we think that's not possible for us to have that today. Well, it is. It is. What's different is not the Bible, not God, not the Holy Spirit. It's not the power of the gospel. What's different is the heart and mindset of the people of God. That's what's changed. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the Bible says 3,000 people got saved. One message. And I don't know how many times growing up out here, people say, preacher, get up and preach in the power of the Holy Spirit, preach one message and 3,000 people got saved. Today, preachers preach 3,000 messages and one person gets saved. But can I tell you something? I never really heard a whole lot of emphasis placed on the other 119 church members that were also full of the Holy Ghost standing behind that preacher. Acts chapter number one's clear. There was 120 people in that upper room. Acts two, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter wasn't the only one that was full of the Holy Ghost. The whole church was full of the Holy Ghost. And I wonder what would happen in our local church if we could get every member of the church full of the Holy Ghost all at the same time, out witnessing, out soul winning. We'd not be surprised what God could do. 3,000 people got saved. Acts 2, 41. Acts chapter two, verse 47. The Bible says they were getting saved daily. Daily, they weren't just getting saved on Sunday in junior church. They weren't just getting saved on Sunday in the Sunday morning service because it was an evangelistic type emphasis. They were getting saved every day. You know that tells me that tells me that church members were soul winning every day. They were witnessing every day. They were sharing the gospel every day for people to be getting saved every day. In Acts chapter four, verse number four, the Bible says five thousand, about five thousand more got saved. So we got 3,000 getting saved. We got 5,000 getting saved. Then we get to Acts 4, 4, 5, chapter 5, verse 14, and it says multitudes of men and women. How many of you reckon that were when they stopped counting them when they hit 5,000? I don't think we can begin to imagine how many people got saved in the book of Acts in that church. And yet we've got Christians today that's been saved 5, 10, 15, 20 years, never led a soul to Christ never have been an active participant in the salvation of another person. Well, when you get a church full of people that disregard the mandate, you're losing ground. You're losing ground. J. Harold Smith said this, only as the church fulfills her missionary obligation does she justify her existence. So preacher, are you preaching a missions message tonight? Maybe a little bit. I grew up on the mission field. My parents were missionaries. My wife and I were missionaries in South Africa for five and a half years. My daughter and son-in-law and two grandsons are missionaries right now in the Philippines. I live and breathe missions. That's all I know. And Baltimore, Maryland is my mission field. This is your mission field. Where are we at? Hunt Valley? Towson? Where are we at? Maryland. That's your mission field. Yeah, that's your mission field. You say, but God hadn't called me to the mission field. I beg to differ. He has given every child of God a clear mandate to win the world. And when the church disregards that mandate, they start to lose ground. Number two, write this down. Not only do we lose ground when the mandate is disregarded, but secondly, when the message is disputed. When you find a church full of people that refuse to accept the Word of God, as it is in truth, the Word of God. You got you got a problem. And it seems to me that the fad, the fashions of today, is to sit back and critique and criticize and analyze everything that's preached. Well, I don't believe that's what that means. I don't believe that's what that says. I, he don't know what he's talking about. I don't know where he's coming from. Who does he think he is? Well, I looked that up in the Hebrew. That's not what that's talking about. That, that's Old Testament. That doesn't relate to today. When you get a church full of people that dispute the message, you're losing ground. You're losing ground. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. You can turn over there if you want to, just a couple of pages from where we already are. In 2 Timothy chapter number 4, the Bible's very clear. Paul told Timothy in verse number 2 preach the word. I like that. Preach the word. Don't preach the reader's digest. Preach the word. Preach the book. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come. How many of you believe that we're there? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. See, they can endure it for a while, they can put up with it for a while. That word endure, that's a word you use to describe something that's painful, something that's hard, something that's difficult. They cannot endure it after a while. They won't be able to put up with it. They can't handle it. They will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The Bible says in verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I preached a series last year on the anatomy of apostasy. So many places in the Bible makes references to the falling away, the great falling away which I believe we are living in that day and age right now, we are seeing a tremendous falling away, which is what I'm preaching about. The churches are losing ground. We're losing ranks. I, there's a, there's a, but that word t- falling, falling away, turning away, turning back, they're all synonymous. That's what it's talking about here. They shall turn away their ears from the truth. They dispute the message that is being preached. It's the truth, by the way. It is the truth. They shall turn away their ears from the truth. It is the truth. They know it's the truth. Jesus said, You'll know the truth. The truth shall make you free. They know it's true, but they don't like it. They turn away their ears from the truth. They want a second opinion. That's right. I went to the doctor the other day. He said, You need to lose weight. You're fat. I said, I want a second opinion. He said, You're ugly too. We got churches full of people when the truth is being preached, you know what they say? I want a second opinion. I'm gonna go YouTube that. I'm gonna go Google that. I'm gonna ask Siri if what he said is true. And they go home and they start trying to find anybody or anything that can contradict the truth so that it will make them feel better for living in a lie. But the interesting wording in verse number four is they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and then the verse says, and shall be turned. Shall be turned. In other words, the first half of that verse is voluntary. The second half of that verse is involuntary. Once they turn away their ears from the truth, the devil will then turn them completely away unto fables. They start that process by rejecting truth, by rejecting light. By disputing the message, doubting the message. And that's just enough for the devil to take them and turn them all the way around and push them over into some place where all they're gonna hear is fantasy, fairy tales, fables, lies. And that's what they want. What am I saying? I'm saying tonight that a church loses ground if you ever get to the place where you dispute the message. The Bible says, I wish I had time to turn over to Thessalonians where Paul told the church at Thessalonica, He said, you received the word, not as it was, as it is the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. What a statement. He was bragging on the Thessalonians. He was bragging on them. He said, when we came unto you and we preached unto you, you didn't say, well, that's just what he thinks and that's just what he says and we've never heard that before and I don't know about all that. He says, you received the message, not as it is the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God. But then he talked about the Bereans. He said they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They went home and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They were hungry for the truth. They were hungry for the truth. And you get a church full of people that ever starts turning their ears away from the truth, that church is losing ground. And that's what's happening right now all across this country. Churches that used to be strong, solid, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James, soul-winning, separated, believed in having strong families and strong homes and training their children up in the old paths, they have lost ground. Now you go in there and it looks more like a nightclub than it does a church. What happened? People turned away their ears from the message, begin to dispute it. Thirdly, write this down. You lose ground when the membership is divided. The membership is divided. If the devil can ever create a wedge in the church, cause divisions, cause schisms in the body. Mark chapter three, verse 25, Jesus said, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. More churches have been destroyed by church members not being able to forgive and holding grudges and not being able to get along than they ever have been hurt by the outside world. I've seen church splits from the, time, from the 70s. I watched my daddy get voted out of a church that was going strong. I mean, the church was, it was, just, it was out of debt. We burnt the notes. The faith promised missions doubled, tripled. People were getting saved. Church was growing. we got a few church members in there that had alt in their heart against one another. It wasn't long before the church was split right down the middle. It wasn't the drug addicts. It wasn't the liquor stores. It wasn't the prostitutes on the corner. It wasn't the meth dealers that tore that church up. It was church members that could not forgive. If we want to have revival in this country, we need to have a revival of unity in our churches. In Romans chapter 16, in verse number 17, Paul said, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine he said in 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse number ten, "Now beseech your brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing. That you all speak the same thing. That's unity." He said, well, "I don't think it's that big of a deal that we all speak the same thing." Well, somebody should have told God that before the Tower of Babel and confounding the languages. Can I tell you what God said about speaking the same thing, how powerful it was? Listen to this. You want a a definition of unity from the lips of God. Here's what God said in Genesis chapter number 11 about unity. Listen to this. He said, I'm going to go down. He said in verse number 6 of Genesis 11, the Lord said, talking about the Tower of Babel, He said, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. The Bible says in verse number nine, the Lord did confound the language and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Don't tell me it's not important for God's people to not all be saying the same thing. We got language barriers in our church. We got people that are speaking and they're not saying the same thing. And I believe with all of my heart, the devil will use that to destroy a church quicker than anything. Even many times quicker than doctrinal error. Even worse than a scandal. Even worse than some terrible sin that's brought out in the church and people start picking sides. The the lack of forgiveness, the inability to just die to self, hug somebody's neck and say, you're right and I'm wrong. Let's move forward for God's honor and glory. Why is that so hard to do? Stubborn pride gets in the way. And churches lose ground when the membership is divided. God wants the church to be unified. Listen, I wish I had the time to go to John 17. Here's what Jesus prayed in John 17. Now this is, you say, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Listen to what Jesus said. In John chapter 17, what we call the Lord's Prayer, you've got the model prayer. When you pray, pray after this manner. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the model prayer. The Lord's prayer is John chapter number 17. And here's what Jesus said. And he said it several times. Lord, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. I'm going to be honest with you. That's a pretty high standard for unity. When he said, I want the church to be one as the Son and the Father, the Godhead. Is one. How important is it to forgive? How important is it to set your differences aside and for the cause of Christ? Everybody in the ship rowing in the same direction. Somebody said, Fellowship's two fellows on the same ship. I said, No. Two fellows on the same ship rowing in the same direction is fellowship. Amen. Two fellows on the same ship rowing in opposite directions is a battleship. We got people in our church that had their own agenda, they had their own motives. Pastors are getting out of the ministry. They're stressed beyond measure, can't sleep at night because of divisions and schisms in the church. The church that can't forgive and be unified as a church that is losing ground. Can I get a witness? How long does your preacher normally preach on Thursday night? Amen. Number, five, number four, write this down. A church loses ground when the morals are discarded. When the morals are discarded. You know what? If the church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth and the Bible's very clear that we are to pursue holiness and righteousness, that ought to be the trademark of the church. Can I get a witness on that? The people of God ought to live clean. They ought to live right. You say, well, I'm living under grace. I'm so glad you said that because Titus chapter number two says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Amen. A church that fails to uphold the morals and the truths of holiness and righteousness and when the morals are discarded, that church is losing ground. Paul had to write a letter of rebuke to the church at Corinth There was sin going on in that church that he said shouldn't even be named among the Gentiles. And they were puffed up. They were proud about it. They were covering it up. They were not dealing with it. And the apostle Paul said, as we say down south, don't make me come down there. Don't make me come down there. I'm writing you a letter. You better listen to what I'm telling you. You better turn him over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We got churches today that are turning a blind eye to open flagrant sin in the church. Hey, when you do that, you're losing ground. Hey, man, church ought to be clean. Church is made up of imperfect people. How many of y'all here this evening are imperfect? Raise your hand. I'm gonna wait till every one of you put your hand up. <laughs> imperfect, flawed, flawed, all of us. But a church ought to embrace the biblical standards of holiness and righteousness and godliness. And when a church ever allows the world to come in and dilute the morals and the standards in the church, that church is losing ground. You're just, a of, you're just a couple of years away from apostasy if you don't deal with sin. Number five, I'm gonna give you one more and we'll be finished. A church is losing ground when the ministries are disbanded. The ministries are disbanded. Boy, during covid It seems as if people were looking for a reason. They were looking for an excuse to just stop a bunch of things. People stopped soul winning. They stopped running buses. And I'm not talking about during COVID. I'm talking about they never started back. I'm talking about it was as if the ministries of the church just began to be peeled away, peeled away, operating on a skeleton crew, doing the bare minimums, having the least amount of services, doing the least amount of ministry. A church that starts shaving off and cutting out ministries and disbanding ministries as a church that's on wobbly ground. We've got missionaries here tonight that's been missionaries in... Uganda for over 20 years how would we feel if we read a prayer letter of a missionary and he said oh by the way we're only going to have one service a week we're not doing this we're not doing that we're not doing this the last days people are just not really receptive we would drop that missionary we would discontinue their support We'd say, hey, if you're there, you ought to be busy. You ought to be doing everything you can, make use of every moment of every day. Jesus is coming back. We want to be found faithful in serving him. But I'm afraid many times in our independent Baptist churches, we hold our missionaries to a higher standard than we hold ourselves. Let me throw something at you right here. This one right here will get under your skin. You ready? What if we had a a practice where churches had to send missionaries a prayer letter? And say, this is how many we had saved this month. This is how many doors we knocked this month. This is how many tracks we passed out this month. This is how many we had reached. Are y'all still with me? We send them $25, $40, $50, $7,500 a month, and now they owe us an explanation for every day of the month. We won't know what you did and what's happening, and we're sitting here in the States and we're shaving off ministries and we're quitting this and we're cutting out that because it's just interfering with our life. A church that starts disbanding ministries and loses the focus of what we're here for is a church that is losing ground. Say, so preacher, what do you think we ought to do? Add a ministry, <laughs> double down. Amen. I preached a message last night. We're starting a Bible college. I'm 50 years old. I've been preaching 30 years. I love my recliner. I love going home and sitting in my recliner. You know what God said? Get out of the recliner. It's time to work double shifts. Amen. You pastor all day and teach all night. Hey, we got got too much to do to start dismantling and shaving. Instead of stopping your bus ministry, you ought to start another bus route. Amen. Amen. A van route, no amens. A moped route, can I get an amen on that? Can we get one person to church? A bicycle, amen. A little red wagon pulling behind your bicycle. Can we do something to make a difference? A church that fails to understand why we were left here. And you know why we were left here, right? For potlucks, is that it? No. You could announce a potluck at at a Baptist church and you'll have record attendance. I promise you, they won't come for preaching, but they'll come from a casserole. That's right. They'll show up every time you have a potluck, they'll show up, eat three or four plates, and take two or three plates full home with them. That's your average church member. Don't come to church, don't get involved, won't roll up their sleeves, won't, won't reach out into the community, won't do whatever needs to be done. How does a church lose ground? Well, they lose a heart for ministry. I love Colossians four seventeen. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. I hope that you've received a ministry. You say, well, I'm not on staff. I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to Bible college. I'm just a layman in the church. Yeah, but you've got a ministry. You've got a a function in the body. And you ought to function with an unction and look for ways to impact and change the world and grow. Let God grow you in that ministry. And don't just be satisfied with doing one thing. Ask God to let you do something else. We got folks in our church that are involved in four or five ministries. Every time I turn around, they're doing something. And they, sometimes their ministries conflict with each other. It's like, how can you work in the sound booth and sing in the choir? Said, you got to have long arms to turn knobs from way up there. They just volunteer for everything. I won't do this, I won't do that. My father-in-law was a drunk when he got saved. I mean, he was drunk, worldly, wicked gambler. He told me, he he said, when I was lost, he said I'd get up on Friday morning and go to work and I wouldn't go back to sleep till Monday evening after work. He said, I'd be up Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, go to work Monday and go to bed. He said, I gave the devil 500% when he got saved. He signed up for everything, even the ladies' auxiliary. He didn't know. He said, I got saved. I gave the devil everything. I'm gonna give God 100%. He said, well, how'd that work out for him? Well, God called him to preach, went to Bible college, He's retired from the pastorate now, and he's on the road full time raising money for the print ministry, and his five kids, all of them's in the ministry, both boys are pastors, and all three daughters are pastors' wives. We go together on vacation to Hilton Head. There's about 70 of us. Everybody's saved and serving God. What happened? That old man got in. He got in. He got involved in ministry. He gave it everything he's got, and my father-in-law now has got such bad health, we're afraid every day we're going to get a text message that he's dead. Heart problems, and overweight, and and sugar problems, and pancreas problems, and he'll jump in a truck for the trailer and haul scripture clear all the way to Mexico and turn around and drive back. Won't even stop and get a motel room. Burning the candle at both ends in his 80s. An example of a believer that understands ministry. Are y'all getting this message? If some of y'all will nod your head, I'll quit. A church loses ground when the people in the church start dismantling the ministries of the church because ministries is what keeps the church thriving and growing and moving forward. The Apostle Paul said this in Acts 20, 24. I'll give you this and I'm finished. He said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear." unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day. I've always been fascinated by that verse. How that somehow or another God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit let Paul get a little bit of a glimpse into what kind of crowns he was going to get when he gets to heaven. And he was able to write down and say, I don't know what all I'm going to get, but I know I'm going to get that one because the Holy Ghost has already told me. I wonder this evening, are, are you going to have crowns? Are you going to have rewards for doing your part in your church to make sure that it stays the pillar and the ground of the truth? Don't be that church member that's, that's undermining and tearing at the foundation and weakening the church and causing the church to be a place where people are divided. Be, a, be, a, be that church member. Hey, you want revival to break out? Be that church member that says, I want my church to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. And God will bless you. He'll bless this church. He'll bless this ministry. He will bless your pastor. He will do great things at Hunt Valley Baptist Church.